What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to the Going the Distance podcast presented by Immaculate Sports. Twitter's at Immac Sports. Instagram is also at Immac Sports. TikTok, YouTube, Immaculate Sports. It's episode 177. We got the matchup that nobody wanted. Niners Chiefs. <laughs> but hey, man, it's still going to be an awesome game. Uh, we're going to recap everything that happened in the football world. Of course, season grades as usual. But a lot of other stuff, too, is going on. Uh, of course, we got that quick first reaction for the Super Bowl, but we got a week. So there's other things we will discuss as well. Of course. And in a week where there wasn't a lot of good going on for, for me as a sports fan, where the Chiefs made the Super Bowl, the Warriors had a couple of tough losses, and I suffered some of the worst allergies I've been through in a while, my opener is going to be Alex Wood setting with the A's, a pitcher who has had some good seasons. But those good seasons were back in 2016, 2017, back when, with he, when he was with the Dodgers. Past few years with the Giants haven't been so good, but you provide the A's some depth, I guess, in the back of the rotation. So Alex Wood, best thing I saw this past week. He'll definitely be uh, an interesting guy to watch. Uh, and as two of the only people in the world who are going to be watching every A's game, hey, here's a guy who can give you a couple good innings every once in a mm-hmm. while. Uh, I am going to go with one of those Warriors losses as the best thing I saw because that Saturday night double overtime game against the Lakers was incredible. They did lose 145 to 144, but Steph Curry had 46 points and he was getting no calls on the drives. This is without free throws, guys. This guy was ridiculously efficient. But unfortunately, it wasn't as efficient as LeBron was that night. He had 36 and 20 rebounds, plenty of assists, plenty of free throws, getting to the line. Clay Thompson hit a clutch shot we thought was the game winner. And D'Lo answered back. Uh, just an awesome finish. Of course, frustrating to watch as a Warriors fan because these are the games you need to win if you want to start uh, you know, heading back in playoff territory. But I'll take a, a great game that I'll remember for the rest of the season. Yeah, I uh, was watching this game, of course, as well, too. And we were in the PlayStation Party watching it. I don't remember if you were there or not, Skyler. But there's like four or five times within that game where I was like, you know, this is a pretty insane matchup that we're watching right now. This is a game of the year. And to look back at this might be one of the last very good Steph LeBron matchups that we see mm-hmm. in our lifetime. And to have the ability to kind of take it in while it was happening was pretty cool as well, too. So we lost. We've been losing a lot of games this year. We're not going to do anything in playoffs. I kind of know that already. So I'm just watching that. That came as a, you know, basketball fan more than explicitly just wanting the Warriors to win. Yeah. Moving on from basketball, though, I think that might be the last time that we talk about basketball until we get to the second half. We got to talk about championship weekend and the two games that occurred on Sunday, the first of which was the AFC championship. We got to give a a season grade to the Ravens and just kind of recap what happened in that one. A lot of scoring in the first two quarters. After that, only a field goal by the Ravens in the second half was the only point scored by either team in the third or fourth quarter. This game was weird. I I don't really know what to call it. It wasn't like the defenses had their moments, but there's also just a lot of mistakes and crucial times by the Ravens. 
Obviously, if you're gonna you're gonna look at the stats, you're gonna see two main guys as, as far as offensive production: as Travis Kelsey and Zay Flowers, both over 115 receiving yards and a touchdown. Obviously, Kelsey had a few more catches with 11 and got the W as well too. But what what do you see in this game, Skyler? And what was your season grade for the Ravens? I thought that Steve Spagnola was the MVP of this game. Baltimore's offense couldn't get anything going at all, uh, unlike Kansas City's quick start. Uh, three for 11 on third downs, terrible 15 yard penalties, like you said, and they abandoned the run game after it was working. They had five yards per carry. Kansas City and Pacheco did not stop running. That killed an extra 15 minutes of clock for them. Combine that with four sacks on Lamar and the masterclass Mahomes, Kelsey, you know, tight window throws that we all hate. <laughs> and it's just mm-hmm. enough to get them back to the Super Bowl. I'm going to give Baltimore an A for this season. Uh, I think realizing at the end of the day, bringing back Lamar is going to keep this franchise afloat as long as he's healthy. The roster construction is pretty nice heading into the offseason. You don't want to have too many glaring needs heading into the draft. That way people know what you're doing and they snipe you sometimes trading up. Get another pass catcher, some younger replacements for free agents, Geno Stone, Stevian Clowney. They should be even better next season. Yeah, I, I did like what you pointed out with Steve Spagnolo and the way that he attacked this Ravens offense from the defensive side. Obviously, you know, one of the main things is that they only had six carries to the running backs, and that maybe could have fixed everything is by running a lot more in, in early downs, at least for the Ravens. But uh, Steve Spagnolo did he just blitz them every single time. And when your wide receiver for is – a Nelson Aguilar in his ninth season, Zay Flowers in his first season, OBJ, who's had some moments in, this year, but not what he once was, you know, four or five years ago. Uh, a young tight end in Isaiah Likely and a guy who just came back from injury in Mark Andrews. They're not going to beat your corners or your safeties, your linebackers right away. And so you have that two, three second brace period where if you just send six at, at Lamar, you'll get him in the plays over. Obviously, you get beat a few times from that. We saw Nelson Aguilar have a 39-yard catch. We saw Zay Flowers get open a couple times later in the play, one of them for his touchdown. But it worked really, really well, and we just saw no adjustment from the Ravens from a game that they were in, only down 10 points at halftime, and they just didn't change anything in the second half, and that's exactly why they only scored three points. And then, obviously, LeJerry stayed with the big, you know, forced fumble at the goal line as well, too. But... Like you said, full picture looking at the Ravens season, I'm giving it an A as well, too. It's it's in a weird spot, kind of like the Buffalo Bills, where you look at their team and how they're playing, especially towards the later part of the season. And you thought the Ravens and the Bills were the two best teams in the AFC quite easily, but they just don't have Mahomes. And the stuff that that guy does when it gets <laughs> to January and February is... It's one of a kind, separate from Brady, of course, but you just can't prepare for that. So Ravens today, I still think their season was a success, and, and obviously Lamar's going to get a second MVP as well, too. But to lose like this at home on the doorstep of the Super Bowl is really tough. So no way plus, but I'll give them an A. The second game... The NFC Championship was a roller coaster. A 24-7 to lead at halftime for the Detroit Lions. 
played about as good as they possibly could in the first half. Maybe if they, you know, just punched it at the end of the first half rather than settle in for a field goal, could have been better. But regardless, damn near perfect half uh, from the Detroit Lions in the first half. And then the worst half football that they ever could have played in the second half. And one of the best halves football that we've seen played this entire season from the Niners in the second half, going on a 27 0 run before the Lions scored a garbage time touchdown with you know, a minute left to go or whatever. Big question mark with this game is Dan Campbell. You know, he's been going for it his entire time as a head coach. He's been very open about being willing to take the heat if it doesn't work. It didn't work against the Niners, fourth and three, fourth and two, both didn't convert, which led to this loss. What do you take away from that, Skyler? What's your season grade from the Lions? A complete letdown from Detroit. And some people could see this from a mile away. I thought as soon as CJ Deuce was waving goodbye up by 14, I I thought, oh, no, this is going to end horribly. Maybe watching with two fans of Michigan teams made it more obvious for me because they were just dancing around the room going crazy, (laughs) way too happy for the the stakes of the game. Uh, Many people are going to point the finger at Dan Campbell, uh, probably deserving for Sunday. uh, But remember, they, they don't get here without some of those decisions. Maybe if they don't fumble to start off the the second half, the crazy play to Ayuk, uh, we're going to overtime. Uh, but let's be real, they're probably losing in overtime because they couldn't tackle McCaffrey. They couldn't contain Purdy on those scrambles for 48 yards. I'm going to give Detroit an A-plus, though. You could argue after beating Kansas City in Arrowhead week one, they were on pace for the A-plus. Um, and they also stomped on a lot of teams along the way this season. I don't think their path being easier than other teams should take anything away, though. A 12-1 season is tough to pull off. It's not a guarantee they're going to be back, but they've hit on a lot of young guys, and hopefully that means they're going to progress even further for the next playoff run. So A+. plus. Yeah, my take on Dan Campbell here is I really don't know, man, because he, he's had some good moments from going, going forward on fourth down, and he obviously had a, some bad moments. My my thing with this specific instance uh, in the <laughs> NFC Championship, obviously looking back as hindsight 2020, they get that fourth and two and Josh Reynolds doesn't drop that ball that was, I think they're on the Niners 20-yard line at that point too. They win that game. There, there's no way that that drive, they punch it in. They're up three touchdowns at that point. There's just no way with eight minutes left in the third quarter that that really turns into anything. I would have kicked the field goal there a thousand times because you don't have to win by 20. You just have to win by one. And to go for it in that instance, it was the play to, you know, win by 20 and win comfortably. Mm-hmm. And then it turned out to be the exact opposite. So regardless, looking at the entire season for the Detroit Lions, it's an A+. Plus. Uh, you, you really can't give them anything. But I know you, just like the Ravens, are on this doorstep of the Super Bowl and you lost and this one's probably a bit more heartbreaking for the Lions fans than it is for the Ravens fans, but total season, complete success. Getting back here is going to be tough, especially when you don't have a Mahomes or mm-hmm. Josh Allen or Lamar Jackson because you have to have more of a team effort. But I like the Lions, man. Uh, their roster's good. It's only going to get better. Look at their their stars and the guys who contributed a ton in this game. Jameer Gibbs, Jamison Williams, Sam Laporta, Amon Ra. They're all young. You know, they're going to be here for a long time. And getting Ben Johnson back next year as well, too, is going to be big. So Yes. 
I like the Lions, but uh, this is a tough loss for them, for sure. Which, of course, sets up the Super Bowl in just under two weeks from now. Uh, Kansas City Chiefs taking on the San Francisco 49ers in Las Vegas, of course. Do you want to make a pick for that game? Briefly, right now, what's your, what's your original thoughts on this matchup, Skyler? I don't know if I'm going to make my official pick yet, but you know, we can, we can float some ideas out there now. Yeah, I'll kind of go through my my process since Sunday. Immediately when I saw that the spread was minus three, I was like, oh my God, you know, Mahomes an underdog again? You got to be kidding me. You're just fueling this guy's fire. But then I, I started looking at the X's and O's, some of the matchups, some situations where San Francisco has an elite playmaker where Kansas City doesn't in some certain situations. And you know what, man? I'm leaning towards San Francisco right now. I'd probably have them winning by a field goal. It should be an awesome game. I think the under is going to be something we talk about next week when we go over props because both defenses are really good. And um, I think I think they can do it. Obviously, you can't give Mahomes the ball with two minutes left in a tie game or, or you know anything close to what happened with Baltimore where he's leading for most of the game since the first drive. That That's tough to come back from. But I really think that San Francisco has earned it this time. And like we talk about, Shanahan has been preparing for a game like this for years now. He doesn't want to fuck this up. He knows when to punt, even when he doesn't want to. Take his three, check it down. And Brock Purdy's going to do whatever he says. It's it's a tough pick. Uh, And that's a perfect thing to say, you know, two weeks before the Super Bowl, that it is a tough pick. Because that likely means we're going to have a good game. We're not going to see a Seahawks versus Broncos matchup that we saw at 53 to 7 or whatever it was, you know, 10 years ago now at this point. But the whole storyline for, I feel like, us in the, in the podcast this year was we know Mahomes and the Chiefs are good. We're not going to pick against them. That's why they were so high on our power rankings the entire year. And then they get to the point where they struggle really, really bad towards the end of the season. We get to the playoffs. I we obviously both picked them over Miami, but we get to the Buffalo game. I picked them. I picked Buffalo over Kansas City. I picked Baltimore over Kansas City, and it got to the point where Mahomes just burdened me again on my picks. I don't know what to make quite yet as far as a pick for this game. I'm gonna wait until next week, but it's just crazy how this man always just manipulates my picks. And I'm gonna feel like such an idiot when they win. <laughs> if I stick with San Francisco, of course, we got to be. Yeah, that, things. that's the only reason why I pick Kansas City. If I were to make a pick right now, yeah. I'd pick Kansas City because if I picked against Mahomes again, maybe be wrong. I would not be too happy with you, but we'll see. I'll, I'll wait until next week to make that pick. Moving on from playoff football and towards the future, and I guess, kind of. We're looking at the coaching hires. We saw three coaching hires this past week. John or Jim Harbaugh going to the Sandy, not San Diego, Los Angeles Chargers. Jeez. Uh, Dave Canales going to the Carolina Panthers and Raheem Morris going to the Atlanta Falcons. For all the coaching hires that we've had so far this year, we've had our thoughts and ideas on that. So we'll, we'll do it again this week. First up, Jim Harbaugh going to the Chargers. What are your thoughts on this? I absolutely love this for the Chargers. Uh, He just turned around Michigan, one of the most cursed programs uh, since 
Charles Woodson left over 25 years ago. Very quickly, five years is all it took him just to get his first recruiting class to be an upperclassman. That's all it took. You know, the ultimate goal is to find that head coach who acts as the CEO of the team. And this is a guy who's done it all, former quarterback in the NFL, a play caller, a great recruiter. He's also won a lot of games in the NFL before. Unfortunately for my friend Kyle here and the Raiders, uh, this is the most confident I felt about a college coach coming back in a long time. Yeah, as, as a Raider fan and as someone who does not like the Chargers, my only hope is that it's been too long for him since he's been in the NFL game to to really come back. But I know that isn't true. Harbaugh is a guy who is a leader of men. We saw that um, when he was at Stanford to when he was with the Niners, obviously when, when he's at Michigan. And I think that now he's got Justin Herbert and he's probably going to go get Derrick Henry or Saquon Barkley in the offseason with the guys at free agency in the running back position. It's a scary thought. However, the Chargers are $40 million over the cap. Thank you, Tom Telesco, for fucking over the Chargers <laughs> and then becoming our GM. So we'll see. Uh, maybe it's not an instant, you know, one-year turnaround and they get in the playoffs next year and they beat Mahomes and go to the Super Bowl and win it. I think it'll take a year or two at least, but that offense is going to be something scary once he once he gets it going and gets everybody into the spot where he wants them to be and not on these crazy contracts that was from this past regime. Next up, Dave Canale is going to the Carolina Panthers, a bit of a lower profile, higher than Jim Harbaugh. What do you think about this one, Skyler? Yeah, I, I get it. You want the quarterback whisperer to help your young, struggling face of the franchise. He's helped revitalize guys like Russell Wilson after his big injuries, Geno Smith and Baker Mayfield this past year. It's just that, you know, historically, half of these guys are going to be fired in the next two years. Carolina is an absolute disaster. And other quarterback whispers, Matt Nagy, Adam Gase, couldn't really figure out how to be a head coach despite being a well-respected offensive mind. If I had to bet, I would say it doesn't end well, even though he's done some great work so far. Yeah. And the Panthers know that this isn't going to be something that gives, you know, next year they're in the playoffs or anything like that because they gave him a six-year contract. They, they gave him the leeway of, hey, you know, we know our roster isn't in this great spot. We're going to give you, you know, a couple years of leeway Good in start. order to lose some games and figure your, your way out as a head coach, especially a first-time head coach. But the experience that this guy has under Pete Carroll is pretty intense. He went to the Seahawks in 2010 after being the assistant strength coach at USC in 2009, was the offensive quality control coach, then the assistant's quarterback coach, then the wide receivers coach, and the quarterback's coach, and the passing game coordinator, then the quarterback coach again uh, under that Geno Smith team, or first year Geno Smith was with Seattle. So he's seen a lot of stuff on offense. And then obviously, you know, last year with Baker Mayfield and the Buccaneers at the offensive coordinator position. And like you said, we've seen this so many times where you see a young offensive mind who just had a great season, turned, you know, a player into a, a caliber player that we didn't think they would be. They get a head coaching job and then they just can't figure it out because you don't have to lead the way that you do as a head coach when you're an offensive coordinator and you have some, uh, you know, superior above you. For Canales, 
I just don't know him enough, man, to be mm-hmm. honest with you, to really get a full read on on how he's going to do in this job. You don't usually see guys go one-year offensive coordinator and then right into head coaches. He takes a year or two, especially when that offense isn't, you know, a top two or three group in the league. However, I, I don't hate this hire. I think it's – I think the offense might be decent for – Carolina in the coming years, obviously gets a young quarterback in Bryce Young. Uh, I'll rate it like a 5 out of 10. I'm pretty mid on it right now. I Mm -hmm. just don't know how to judge it. Last guy, Raheem Morris going to the Atlanta Hawks. Not the Hawks, the Falcons. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) That's a good one. Yeah, I don't mind Raheem Morris to Atlanta because the NFC South is a division with no identity right now. And at the very worst, Raheem Morris is going to instill his top defense and change the culture in Atlanta, which might be all you need to do to win the division for these next five years or so. So I I don't have a lot to say about him. It's 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 going to be up to that defense. If he can get him up to a top 10 defense, the uh, potential is unlimited for the Falcons. Yeah, I, I like this Raheem Morris hire a lot. And unlike Dave Canales, he has a lot of experience, uh, whether it's head coaching role or a coordinator on either side of the ball. Obviously, he was head coach of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers back in 2009 to 2011 as a 33-year-old. So he got that, you know, dip into the head coaching world very early as a coach. Had years under the Redskins or football team while with that crazy coaching tree, was with the Falcons from 2015 to 2020, and even had a stint as an interim head coach when uh, I think it was – I don't know if it was Dan Quinn that got fired, but somebody got fired as a uh, Falcons head coach and he came over and finished the year with that group. But I remember the narrative after that season was maybe this guy should be back. And, and he had a good year with them and he, he turned them around in a way where, you know, they're not making playoffs, but the group morale was a lot better than what it was when he first came in. Then he goes to the Rams, takes Brandon Staley's job as defensive coordinator for for Sean McVay's group over the last three years is a good job there. And then he bounces back and goes right back to Atlanta. I, I like this a lot. I think there's, for some of the guys that were there in 2020, he already has a respect of those dudes, which is obviously huge. And then you've got three stars on the offensive side uh, that he's going to have. I believe Zach Robinson is his name. The Yeah. He's yeah. been the quarterback coach for the Rams, be his offensive coordinator. He's got three rep- weapons and B. John Robinson, Kyle Pitts, and Drake Lennon. They're going to feast. And I like this hire a lot. It's a good culture hire. It's a good scheme hire. I think the Falcons are are going to be back in the playoffs next year. We do have some breaking baseball news. The Orioles Uh, officially been sold. I know there are some rumors today. Yeah, this is, this is big. I saw a tweet. I think it was Gomer actually the MLB, the show guy from Minnesota. He said, if the Orioles are spending money, we're all fucked. (laughs) (laughs) That's true. And I, uh, is John Angelos or whatever their old owner. And there was a quote from, I forget what he was talking on, but they're, they're asking him about like, what's, what's it going to take for you to keep around the score in, in the future? And, you know, cause you're going to have to have a payroll of 150, $250 million to keep Gunner and Adley and all these other dudes. Together, he said, we're going to have to raise prices drastically, which practically means it's not going to happen. So 
to see him sell a team, go to two dudes who have a lot of money. Obviously, we don't know their intentions quite yet, but usually when we see a sale in the modern day, it means good stuff. So, mm-hmm. Congratulations to the Orioles fans. And I know I saw a tweet saying Jackson Holiday already liked one of the posts as well, too. So he's good for that. Yeah, perfect transition. I guess, yeah, perfect segue into a little bit of baseball talk. I've been feeling to talk baseball. I've been thinking about it nonstop. I miss it so much. And I know Skyler's been missing it as well, too. And, and with this little, you know, leeway that we have or little dry session that we have of content, we're going to go back and talk about it. So some of the teams that have had the best offseason, off worst offseason, and some free agency predictions updated from our original picks back two, three months ago. To Bruce off. Which non-Dodgers, because the Dodgers have obviously had the best offseason. Which team has had the best offseason that doesn't play at Chavez or Green? There's some pretty good candidates for the number two spot. A lot of arms have been signed so far. Um, Arizona got some new bats. But I'm still going with the Yankees. Juan Soto is a massive upgrade that I think we've kind of overlooked since the Dodgers have been doing you know, way more that the Yankees have so far. Even Verdugo is a massive upgrade over, you know, whatever outfield experiments they were trying out over the years. Marcus Stroman, huge pickup after losing starters left and right this offseason. You know, not getting Yamamoto is probably going to haunt them in the long run. But for the recent future right here, I, I don't think they're done. And that's, that's a lot. <laughs> yeah, there, there's a few teams that come to mind. I, I didn't think of the Yankees first, but I thought of the Kansas City Royals because the moves that they made to actually spend money bringing in Michael Waka, Seth Lugo, Hunter Renfro, a couple other dudes as well too, showed that they you know, actually gave a shit bringing in Kyle Wright as well too in the trade with the, with the Braves. I thought of the Arizona Diamondbacks to – you know, continue to capitalize off of the season that they had last year, bring back Tommy Pham, uh, bring in Jock Peterson, Eduardo Rodriguez, and just, you know, help combine to, you know, look at that young core that they have and really maximize their potential. I looked at Cincinnati, bringing in Yammer Candelaria, a couple pitchers as well too, to, you know, really address their needs that they had last season. But one team I kept coming back to, was the Seattle Mariners and the trades that they've made this offseason has drastically changed their roster. They got rid of Jared Kalanick, who had some good parts of his last few seasons. That was actually probably the one move that I didn't like, but I'm not too upset about it. He, he's had some character issues. Eugenio Suarez, they got rid of and, and you know, retooled in that spot. They got rid of Marco Gonzalez, the contract that they needed to get rid of. Robbie Ray, a guy that probably not worth the contract that he was given. Jose Caballero, that trade is rough. Again, Luke Randy back was big. They flipped Anthony Descolfani for Jorge Polanco and a couple other dudes as well, too. They got Luke Randy, like I mentioned. Mitch Haniger back. They got um, missing a couple of people. Mitch Garver, uh, yeah, big one. They added a whole bunch of guys around the roster, and they got rid of, you know, a few dudes that <laughs> weren't too good, and weren't too efficient for their money as well. 
But look what they've done. They maximized quite a bit in their lineup now. Let me just go through this. According to Fangraphs, this is their one through nine. It's J.P. Crawford leading up, Julio Rodriguez at the two, Jorge Polanco at the three, Mitch Garber at the four, Cal Raleigh at the five, Ty France at the six, Luke Rayleigh seven, Mitch Haniger eight, and Josh Rojas five. That's a pretty damn good lineup. And for a team that was starting Dominic Kahn's own half the season last year and Dylan Moore every other night, I like this a lot. And as an A's fan, you know, it is what it is, but Seattle Mariners, great offseason. On the flip side, though, we're talking best offseason. We have to talk worst offseason as well, too. Who has had the worst offseason, Scott? Well, <laughs> I mean, uh, anyone who didn't spend is the worst offseason. If I had to pick a team, though, I'm going Tampa Bay. It's not all their fault, but uh, they're definitely going to have the biggest drop-off, I think, in the MLB this season. Um Robert Stevenson, we saw us going to the Angels. I uh, and again, I I don't, you know, no one wants to talk about what happened, but mm. it's a fire sale, and everyone knows that now. And they're not going to get the value that we're used to the Rays getting on this stuff. Yeah, that's a good choice. I would say. I think looking at the team that didn't spend any money in general is usually good way to look at it. I, I went to a team that I expected to have a big offseason and just hadn't done anything. And that's the Texas Rangers, the World Series champs. They, You looked at this offseason, which say they're going to get Montgomery back, they're going to get a Rolls Chapman back, they're going to get Josh Hader, and their team is going to be good to go. Josh Hader goes to the Astros for five, six years. So you not only lose on that, but it's going to come back to haunt you most likely. Montgomery's still a free agent, so we don't know him. You lose a whole bunch of dudes that were pretty solid contributors to your team. Will Smith, Martin Perez, Robbie Grossman, Jake Odorizzi, Rose Chapman, Austin Hedges, Chris Stratton, Mitch Garver, Jordan Montgomery. And who do you bring in? Tyler Maley, Diego Castillo, Austin Pruitt. It's like, they didn't have a good offseason at all. We expected them to you know, really propel themselves off of this World Series that they got, and they just haven't done anything. But that being said, they got a damn good farm system, and I expect them to be just as good next year as they were, you know, this past season. But they could be a lot better, in my opinion. 100%. They kind of, you know, banked on everyone choosing them in the reliever market, right? Mm -hmm. That's always how it goes, because especially in the reliever market where you're not going to see some crazy contracts most likely. There's going to be four or five teams that offer the same contract. You just got to hope that you're the team that they pick. Moving on, we've got seven guys that we are going to re-predict or just confirm our prediction from the past that are still free agents. First of which, Blake Snell, a two-time Cy Young Award winner, most recently, his past season together. Where do you think he goes? So, I think it's obvious he wants to end his career in Seattle. But he's asking for a lot of money. We've seen the Yankees already get declined twice on offers to Blake Snell that were pretty big ones, at least the ones that were rumored to be true. And 
I do think it's a great fit, but unless we see them start trading some more pitchers, which they definitely could, they've been making trades basically, you know, every week of this offseason, mm-hmm. like you said, I think it's going to come down to the big dogs. And I haven't going to Boston. I'm going to stick with my earlier prediction. They've been linked to them all offseason. They traded Chris Sale. It just seems like a perfect fit. I do like that. That was one of the teams I was thinking about. My original prediction for Blake Snell was going to Philadelphia for seven years. I'm looking at Philly's rotation right now. Zach Wheeler, Aaron Nola, Ranger Suarez, Taiwan Walker, and Christopher Sanchez. I originally had Aaron Nola leaving, which is why I put Blake Snell into this rotation to help supplement the loss. However, that Christopher Sanchez spot looks pretty easy to bounce out. So I'd say Blake Snell still goes to Philadelphia. Next up, I've talked about him a few times already with the Rangers, Jordan Montgomery. Yeah, I have him going back to the Yankees. They have to get another starter, like to talk about earlier, talked about earlier, excuse me, with when we were talking about the Yankees possibly having the best free agency class. Monty's had a lot of success in the Bronx. Um, 2.6 career ERA in the postseason should get him the money he deserves. And especially if the Yankees miss out on Blake Snell, um, they're going to have to give him whatever he wants, basically, in my eyes. And, of course, there's always sleeper teams around. It's the teams around 500 that always get you. It's like, are they really serious? Or is this just a rumor, you know, that Toronto's in on everyone, that the Cubs are in on everyone? I have them going back to the Yankees. Drew Montgomery, I was actually thinking the Yankees, too, However, I turned away from that. My original prediction was the Padres for five years, $130 million. I do think that contract is still pretty accurate, but I have them going to the Cubs this time. I think you look at the Cubs rotation, Justin Steele, Jameson Tyon, Shoto, Kyle Hendricks, and Jordan Wicks. Jordan Wicks, one of their top prospects, probably deserves to be within the rotation at some point. But usually you don't want one of your prospects to be penciled in as one of your starters unless they're you know, truly a top guy. Especially with Kyle Hendricks starting to fizzle out as well, too. I think putting Jordan Montgomery in there works perfectly. So I got Monty going to Wrigleyville. Next guy, Cody Pellinger. He's had an interesting offseason. Yeah. So um, when we first did this, I had San Francisco. When I was writing this this morning, I also had San Francisco. And, of course, MLB Network reports that he's likely going back to the Cubs, right? So... That kind of destroys my whole point here, but I guess I'll talk about San Francisco and uh, by the end of it, maybe I'll change my mind. Maybe not. Um, They've Mm -hmm. desperately been trying to pick up a star these past couple of years. I think the difference in contract between a team friendly cub deal and being the face of San Francisco, it's going to be massive. If it comes down to those two, it just depends on if he's willing to do that. He may hate the giants. That's, you know, something we've heard with San Francisco over the years in uh, in free agency, guys don't want to go there. And uh, I think it's down to those two. I guess I'll flip it to Chicago instead of San Francisco. If that's what our guys are reporting, the guys we trust on MOB Network. You know? Yeah. I went with the sleeper team. My original prediction was he goes back to Chicago for eight years. We see the market kind of diminish in the way that he doesn't have, you know, the crazy batted balls stats or, you know, some of the predictions for the next few years that he's going to kind of drop back to what he was in the previous seasons. 
but there's always one team that just likes to give a whole bunch of money out for no reason. And so I picked the New York Mets to give them a ton of money. Right now, looking at their lineup, they got DJ Stewart penciled in as their projected DH for next year. This also includes Harrison Bader in their lineup, Starling Marquet, who's on the last year of the deal, and Brandon Nimmo, who should be you know playing every day in the outfield regardless. But there's an open spot there, especially with you know Pete Alonso possibly leaving next year and leaves first base spot that could be open. I think the seems fit, and I think it also helps, you know, maybe get Pete Alonzo back to that team in 2025. That is a risky move. Moving on to an old friend of ours, Matt Chapman. Matt Chapman is a confusing one because I have him going to the Angels. <laughs> you may think, what are you talking about, man? They got Anthony Rendon. Well, I, at this point, you got to bite the bullet on the Rendon contract and bring in the hometown kid. He's from Fullerton. He went there. Anaheim is a lot different from Chavez Ravine. I promise you that. If you're serious about contending, now that Otani's gone, of course, which makes it much worse, then you can't half-ass it with the waiver pickups and the draft picks playing early. They're clearly buyers. Okay, move on from Rendon. Get Chapman in there. You know... Barring any crazy uh, back or hip injuries again, he's going to be in the lineup every single night. You know he's going to be there. You need people you can depend on for the Angels. Yeah, I don't mind that pick. My original pick was the Giants. I still yeah, think that's one of the top options for him. However, I changed my pick to the Chicago Cubs. Right now they currently have Nick Madrigal penciled in as their opening day third baseman. You do not want Nick Madrigal be your opening day third baseman. You'd much rather have Matt Chapman for a multitude of reasons. And they got the money to give it up, too. So uh, I like Chappie to, to Wrigleyville with Jordan Montgomery. Next up, DH, who can't be in L.A. anymore because the Dodgers signed Shohei Otani. Where do you think J.D. Martinez goes? So I have J.D. Martinez going to Toronto. He's played in the East before with Boston. And this is something I could see dragging on into spring training just because he's so old. <laughs> That's basically it. And, and it, it's a DH. You know, the DH market is is weird right now. But Toronto's a, one of those, you know, mystery teams. But now we know they're not a mystery. They've been in on all these guys. They just uh, can't convince them or don't have the money or whatever. But uh, I feel like a DH is more likely to find his way onto a contender rather than the reliever route of, you know, getting traded from the bottom dweller. So I picked Toronto. Yeah. I do have that division. However, I, I went to Baltimore as my choice. I, that lineup, they have a lot of, of good pieces. And right now it's, you know, O'Hearn at first base and Ryan Mountcastle at DH. I think, He's in a spot where Jaden Martinez can probably play, you know, 75 to 80% of games and be okay with it and be on a team who's going to make the playoffs and, you know, most likely go far into the playoffs within the near future. He's going to get more of that, you know, mentorship type role where he's got a lot of young hitters on that team. And he's a guy who, you know, has changed drastically from his first year in that will be to where he is now and his approach and the way that he plays the game from the plate. I think he'd be a perfect fit there, and he's still pretty damn productive as well, too. Yeah. Second to last guy we got is Jorge Soler, World Series MVP in 2021. Good call, by the way. Always got to mention it. 
So uh, another situation where I, I originally had the Cubs slated 100% for Jorge Soler earlier today. And then the Bellinger news came out, um, you know, possibly making them not spend that much money for another outfielder. So I'm going to say there's a 5% chance San Francisco gets in on this guy too, just because they got more financial flexibility than teams like Boston or Seattle that have also been rumored. And um, they have some work to do outside of just grabbing another corner outfielder. Uh, the Cubs haven't had a lot of production from the corner spot or DH uh, since it was added, basically. Um, I feel like it'd be a cool fit. And I know you agree. We both think Chicago's not done. Uh, they lost some guys. They got to fill the spot. Yeah. I had the Angels penciled in for Jorge Soler originally. I said three years for $50 million. I'm sticking with it. They currently have Mickey Moniak and Taylor Ward penciled in as outfielders for the 2024 season. And while I don't think that's a shock, I also don't think that's probably the two guys that you want as, you know, your outfielders because Mickey Moniak, while he had a good year last year, he had some spots in his, you know, advanced stats to kind of show maybe he's not going to be like that forever. He didn't walk much. He struck out quite a bit. I think we're probably going to see a bit of regression in 2024 from Taylor Ward. He struggled quite a bit. He's battled a lot of injuries, and we haven't really seen the same Taylor Ward that we saw in 2022, 2021, uh, in 2023 for sure. So I think Soler takes that role easily. Last guy, Adam Duvall. Not maybe the biggest name, but a guy that can contribute to your team quite a bit for sure. Where do you think Duvall lands? I have him going to Boston again to start off the year. Um, that doesn't mean he'll stay there the entire year. Obviously, at Atlanta, if he's available, we'll go pick him up again. But Craig Breslow, the new GM, says he's looking for a right-handed hitter with positional versatility with some outfield. Duvall is the closest to that, at least in this. What kind of tier would you see? C-plus, B-minus tier of free agents now? Uh, there's some doubts about Yoshida. Uh, that should have them going after a couple corner outfielders if they've been trying to trade them this entire offseason, right? You would think at least one of these guys going to Boston. For Adam Duvall, I looked at a ton of different teams because like you said, you know, the B minus free agent, you know, B category, whatever you want to call it. There's probably 25 teams that could sign this guy and it not be too crazy. Mm -hmm. However, I was looking at the Padres and I was looking at the lineup that Fangraphs has projected for them. They have Matthew Batten, Cal Mitchell, and Jose Azokar as guys in their starting lineup. If the Padres want to do anything in the near future, they cannot have any of those guys start. So Adam Duvall takes Cal Mitchell's spot, who doesn't even have a number because he's a non-roster spring training invite. Uh, <laughs> that's how, the, how uh, thin their roster is right now. And that's Adam Duvall takes that spot easily. I originally had Milwaukee as Duvall's projection with Reese Hopkins going to yeah. Milwaukee. It kind of changes everything up there. So Duvall goes to the Padres and takes that spot. That'll do it, though, for our free agency predictions part two. Hopefully we get some of these right. We're probably going to get all of them wrong, though, because of how that stuff goes. But moving on, Skyler gets his talk about the senior bowl oh yeah um one of the most exciting weeks of 
the whole draft process for the NFL is the senior bowl. And there's just a, a, a couple of things I want to talk about. A couple of guys. Um, we'll start with the quarterbacks. Okay. Um, quarterback four, two guys on the national team for the senior bowl throwing side to side every week. I'm sorry, all week, not every week, just the one week event battling to be the fourth quarterback taken in the draft and likely a first rounder. That's Michael Panix, who we know for his arm strength, and that's Bo Nix, you know, for his quick release. Um, th- this is going to be very exciting, something I'll be watching every week because two guys whose stock has has dropped a little bit uh, over the weeks. The uh, the youngins have, have been projected to go a little higher, like McCarthy, Jaden Daniels, of course. I'll definitely be watching. And again, I'll, I'll be going quick. We don't need to be talking about all this. Just day one of the Senior Bowl. Um, lastly here, receivers. Okay. Receivers look to boost their stock at the Senior Bowl. There's a couple of guys with interesting stories here. We'll start with Johnny Wilson of Florida State. Six foot seven, we know. But he showed up at the Senior Bowl 20 pounds heavier. 240 pounds. Maybe bulking up to play tight end at the next level. That'd be pretty cool. Obviously, massive catch radius, but if you can get him mm-hmm. blocking, sealing the edge, chipping before he goes out, uh, not everyone has a guy this size on their team. Um, the next receiver I want to talk about, Devontae Walker from North Carolina, a jump ball freak with Drake May this year, um, trying to get up back into that first round. He destroyed Caitlin King, the Penn State corner, in 1v1s today, apparently on the American team practice. Receivers got to pick who they went up against and ran a route. And he picked Kalen King and toasted him. I saw the clip. Um, also, Roman Wilson did something similar. I want to shout him out. Alex was texting me. He's like, is it true? Did he go off in the senior bowl? Like, yeah, he's not going in the first round. But, yeah, great first day of senior bowl practice. Um, the last receiver I want to talk about here, Xavier Leggett, South Carolina. He will be a combine freak, but only one year as a starter. Um, you know, he could run ridiculous John Ross-type numbers and end up going in the top 15 i just i don't i'm not gonna bet on on that that's pretty crazy um there's a lot of fringe first rounders playing this year i'm gonna leave it here for now you know i could talk about the alignment all day but you don't want to hear me do that if you have questions about alignment you just ask me man because that's basically the most important position for the senior bowl and that's not what this podcast is Mm -hmm. about it's not about alignment so post senior bowl i'm sure we'll have some big stories that will impact the first round um Again, you don't want to hear me talking about D-lineman three-cone drills and get back to it next week. All right. NBA here has been has been crazy these past couple of weeks. Luka Doncic, what a ridiculous, efficient 73 the other night to cap off rivalry week. He shot 76% from the field in this game as a jump shooter with seven assists at Atlanta on Friday. Just so, more jokes. He could have, for sure. This recent uptick in scoring has separated NBA fans kind of into two different categories, two different groups this week. You got the guys, the basketball purists, who say, oh, there's no defense. I hate this. And then there's guys like us who want to predict when Kobe's 81 will be broken in the next couple mm-hmm. of seasons. So I, I, I want to get into this. Um, here we go, man. Obviously, Luca could have gotten 80-plus on Friday, but he was trying to win. 
You know, he wasn't chasing any record. It didn't seem like it. Uh, I, I think that has a lot to do with this year. There's a lot more team basketball going on uh, with winning franchises, especially after getting embarrassed by these European teams in uh, the early Team USA matchups. I think Dame, Booker, and Mitchell can get hot at any moment. But I'm going to predict that next season, Joel Embiid gets 81 points. The 76ers yeah. basically let him do whatever he wants during the regular season. And until he leaves to try to win a championship in another year, I believe Joel Embiid has 81 on his mind, 100%, unlike some of these other shooters. Superstars clearly get the calls that others don't. We see this every night for years. Embiid has perfected his footwork as a seven-footer working with Hakeem every offseason to learn how to draw these BS fouls. I don't see it as, as BS ruining the game. I see it as this guy's a genius, and he's been unstoppable. Free throws are the way to do it in the modern NBA, and it gives a big man time to save his energy. That's why I think Embiid does it next season. A valid point. I, I think Embiid definitely has the, you know, coaches go as well, too, where they're just going to think, okay, well, you, you got the ball. You can do whatever the fuck you want. Uh, I had a couple guys come to mind, first of which is Luca, uh, just because he just got 73 and he puts up, you know, 50 or 60. Uh, you know, three, four times a year at least. So I think maybe one night he just gets crazy hot and he's just chucking in shots and then they go in. The other side of it, looking at Luca's game, one way that they stopped him is they just doubled him like every single possible moment that they could, especially in the second half. Dejounte Murray was picking him up from half court all night. So he had a a taste of what Steph gets every single night, to be honest with you, but... I look at somebody who you you can't double. And even if you do double, it's not going to affect anything. So I went with Victor as my second choice here because even though he's, you know, not quite there as a scorer to get 81, and obviously it's nobody's been quite there to get 81 as a yeah. scorer since Kobe, but he's got the ability where even if you send a double, you shoot right over him. Even if you, you know... Send another guy to the rim to stop him. He can just go right up over, grab it, get the foul laid in. So I think he has a chance to do it. But the only thing holding Victor back is that's not going to be his first play, you know? Yeah. Pop's not going to want that. So maybe it'll be once Pop's gone. But if I had to bet on somebody, it's probably Luke or Wemby. I like the the big men mentality, though. If the question was who scores 100, I think it has to be Wemby. Or no one ever, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. But it, I thought 81 was untouchable, like, maybe two weeks ago. Yeah. Now it's, it's kind of crazy where we've gotten, you know, four 60-point games in the past two weeks. Moving on. Yeah. We've got MLB moves that we got to talk about. I'll skim over all the ones that we saw since January 24th when we last we saw on January 25th we saw Jared Walsh who was an all-star a few years ago go to the Texas Rangers on a minor league deal I don't make anything out of that he's pretty much watched now at this point Jock Peterson signed a two-year or one-year deal with the Arizona car not oh my gosh so like four times the Arizona Diamondbacks that's actually what I predicted two or three months ago so I'm happy about that uh January 26th, we got Carl Edwards Jr. going back to the Cubs. If you know me, that's a legend from like the OB6 to the show. 
and he goes back to his, I wouldn't say alma mater, but goes back to his OG team. Looking at the 27th, we saw Adam Adovino and Alex Wood sign one-year deals. Adovino goes back to the Mets, and like I said earlier, Alex Wood goes to the A's. Carlos Carrasco signed a minor league deal with the Cleveland Guardians, so a bit of a cool reunion there. January 28th, we saw Cole Tucker, who is Vanessa Hudgens' husband, sign a minor league deal with the Seattle Mariners. That's the only reason why he's notable now. And Colt Keith, big-time prospect from the Detroit Tigers, signed a six-year extension through 2029 with the Tigers. I believe there's also club or mutual options for 2030, 31, and 32 as well. Wow. On the 29th, we got a ton of small deals. The biggest move that we saw, though, was Jorge Polanco going to the Seattle Mariners for Derek Bowen. Gabriel Gonzalez, who is a top prospect, is, was a top prospect for the Seattle Mariners, outfielder, 20 years old, a lot of pop, good player there. Justin Topa goes to the in that deal along with Anthony Descopani, a couple of pitchers that are going to contribute quite a bit for the Twins if they want to do anything in 2024. Aaron Hicks signed a one-year deal with the Los Angeles Angels. Guy who looked washed with the Yankees goes to the Orioles. Looked pretty damn good last year. So, solid deal for the Angels. You know, not really, you know, big risk or anything like that. And then January 30th, a.k.a. today, Justin Turner signed a one-year deal, which we already kind of talked about a bit. Talked about a bit. So, that's where we're at right now. Just trying to get those final... Free agents to sign, and then eventually we will be at spring training here in a couple weeks, which is awesome. Oh, yeah. Moving on, Lamps Bowl predictions. Another rough week for us. We went one for three this past week. One pick we didn't get right was my lamp. It was the Detroit San Francisco over 15 and a half. It ended up being in the mid 60s, so I'm good there. Let's go ahead, Pacheco, under 65 yards rushing. I believe he finished with 68 on 24 carries. So a solid read, I would say, just 24 carries. He's obviously going to get to that 65-yard mark. This week, I have the Denver-OKC game going over 229.5. Game takes place tomorrow. Two good offenses, two top teams in the West. I think it's a pretty high-scoring game. Yeah, uh, I'm also going with a, an over here basketball. Friday night, we have the Pacers hosting the Kings. They played a couple weeks ago, and the over was 278. They were one point under, and there's no official line yet, but uh, when we get it, I assume it'll be right around this mark, and we'll update it for next week. That's crazy. Boom prediction. Uh, I had Lamar Jackson four plus total TDs. I thought he'd have his way with the Kansas City defense. It turned out to be the exact opposite. That is red. Skyler had Brock Purdy anytime touchdown. And I had he ran a lot. Yeah, he, he ran a lot, but not close enough. I think he had to run down to like the four or five. And I was thinking about you when he was running. I was like, holy shit's good. I get it, but uh, too bad there. This week, I have Houston over the Pelicans tomorrow. It's not a crazy bull prediction. I believe the Pelicans are only like two and a half point favorites, but I didn't really like anything else, so I'll go with that pick there. Yeah, a similar strategy here with a money line of Denver, the same game you're taking the over of. I'm taking the Nuggets to win in OKC here. Uh, basically, it's, it's you know, the defending champions are underdogs. That's never a bad bet. 
Denver has been scoring a whole lot more points than OKC has over these past couple of weeks. And that's basically it. So I, I also agree with your, your over. Yeah. Let's money. Let's hit. Maybe basketball is just what we needed to get back on track. I was looking these past couple weeks, five weeks. I've gotten like one pick, right? It's fucking disgusting, man. We've been struggling. That's how this stuff goes. Playoffs. I don't never know. All right. Well, that's going to do it for episode 177. Kind of a rough week. Been struggling to get through these allergies, so mm-hmm. I apologize for my bumness in this episode. I've had much worse episodes. You know this. <laughs> <laughs> we'll get through it, though. We'll see you guys in episode 178, unless Gather has any closing remarks. Full, in-depth, Super Bowl preview. One week That's from true. tonight. Yeah. That's it. That. In one week, and are we missing anything else? Uh, Steph and Sabrina. Groundhog Day. Point. Yeah. We have Groundhog Day in a couple of days. We'll see if there's six more weeks of winter or for on to spring. I don't think that applies to either of us, though. You're at the beach and I'm in the Bay Area. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We're already in spring. <laughs> Did Ian see a shadow? That will tell. All right, we'll see you guys next week.